0: The scripture reading for this evening is from 1 John, chapter 5, verses 6 through 12. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, The testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God that he he is born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has a son has life. Whoever does not have a son of God does not have life. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good evening everybody. Good evening. How's your weekend going? Good, good.
0: Let's
1: see if we can change that. <laughs> Just kidding, uh, welcome to Portico Church. My name is Jason. Um, I am lead Pastor over at the morning service and man, I just look forward to these days when I get to come over and preach um, over at the Clarendon campus so um, it's it's a family aspect here we Steve actually comes over and preaches at HB Woodlaw in our morning service as well so it's something that we truly enjoy to do together and just to be encouraged um, for you over here uh, it's it's great to see what the Lord is doing like he's not just building a service or populating an organization. He's building a family, and that's what he does. He's been doing it since the beginning. So be encouraged that you're a part of that uh, and that the Lord is using you. I know that I am. So... Thank you, so indulge me, as I'm not used to the way that things go over here, so I'm sure that I'll mess up the liturgy (laughs) a little bit. Uh, But we have been preaching together through 1 John. Uh, Today we're going to be in chapter 5, verses 6-12, through uh, which you heard Kelsey read. And John has been building assurance. This is the one singular point of this letter. He's writing to a church that has been overturned to a degree. People that were trusted left. And then they came back into the church and they began um, telling the church that, hey, you know what, I think we've got the whole Jesus thing wrong a little bit. There's something about him that's different. In fact, we're not so sure that he's fully human or we're not sure that he's fully divine. So they were, they were taking what was true about Jesus and causing speculation in the church, and this caused trouble. So his desire is to build absolute confidence and assurance in your faith. Now the way he's done that so far in the book is he's, he's been talking a lot about um, confessing Christ and confessing sin. He's been talking a lot about loving one another, loving God. He's talking about just simple obedience. And as we do that, um, this isn't the foundation of our, of our assurance, but we experience it. We get to actually experience internal assurance as we do these things. Today's weird. I'm just going to be honest. The text that you heard, if it sounded strange to you, it's because you heard it right. Um, he starts to swerve in chapter 5, and instead of talking about these things, love, obedience, um, and confessing Jesus and sin, now he's talking about faith. So he closes his book speaking a lot about faith and how your faith actually builds assurance. Uh, So the question that I would lead with today is when you think about your experience of faith, uh, maybe you came to salvation um, younger and you're like, I've always been raised in the church. I've never really had an experience of salvation. I've never really had that thing. Or maybe you had a very... um, I don't know, a great experience of salvation where you just knew that you knew, you had a great moment of clarity, somebody shared the gospel with you, received it, and your life has never been the same. Can I ask you a question? Or maybe you're, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're like, yeah, okay, that's great for you, but I don't believe. Let me ask all of you in the room, how important is it to you to have that experience of faith? How important is your experience of salvation? Um, that personal testimony if you, will, how important is that to your faith? I remember um, working with somebody, it was not at Portico Church, but it was years before I was in ministry, and we were talking about God. Um, we just had it was between flights, and we were just chatting, and she said, you know what, here's how I know God is real. I know God is real because when my mom passed away several years ago, we prayed for a sign that God would give us to know that she's okay. And she loved red cardinals. And like that day, I saw a red cardinal um, on the windowsill, and I know that was my mom, right? And so I get that, right? Before we roll our eyes at that, we need to understand how knowledge and faith and belief works. Um, First of all, sometimes it's a set of ideas and propositions. A lot of times we come into the church and we believe that yeah, Christianity is about a set of ideas and propositions, and you either believe it or you don't, and if you, if you do it well, then God might smile on you. Uh, maybe you'll get to heaven. That's not true at all. Um, sometimes we believe it's, it's based on the testimony of others, right? Well, they know it. They seem to be pretty sure that this gospel thing is correct. Maybe it's a parent that has raised you up to believe in the faith, and you're like, yeah, that seems right, so I'm going to believe that. I'm going to rest on the testimony of others. But many times for us, it's our personal experience. Man, it's that cardinal on the window, or it's um, Maybe you had just a very powerful conversion experience, or maybe you just had that that day when you knew that you knew that the Lord loved you as you read his scripture, or somebody prayed for you, or something like that. Um, These are all good, but they're not enough. If you root your foundation of faith in any one of these, in the testimony of others, um, in a proposition or information about God, or even in your own experience. What will happen eventually if you haven't experienced it already is you're going to experience disillusionment. You're going to drift. And here's how that might happen. Uh, Somebody that maybe shared their faith with you, maybe a parent, man, maybe they go off the rails. Or maybe it was a pastor and they had a huge moral failure. Or maybe they're not following Christ anymore. What happens to your faith? Have you ever had that happen? Like, I've actually had that happen to me, right? Where when I was younger in the faith and somebody that I really looked up to, they they weren't following the Lord anymore. Um, Now what? What about, uh, what if you're you're relying on your own personal experience and there comes a day when you know, I just don't feel anymore. I don't feel like the way I used to. I don't have that first love anymore. Now what? What do you do? Does assurance just get chucked out the window? What do we do? Um, And what if a new and better idea comes along? Like you have a clear idea of what the gospel is. What if somebody says, I don't think so. I think you're getting it wrong. In fact, I can prove it to you. Does that upend your faith? Um, This is the question that John wants to answer. What are you holding onto? Where do you anchor your faith? Information a proposition in testimony in your own personal experience. All of these are not enough for us to live on. So as you heard in the text, um, what he wants us to do, he wants us to anchor our faith in testimony, but not on our own or anybody else. He wants us to find our assurance in holding on or holding on fast to God's own personal testimony. Now this is strange because he's asking you to... Hold fast is something that God is testifying to. So let's. This is strange. I just want to. I just throw that out there. And, I, and we're going to pray. We're going to go to the Lord, and we're going to let Him walk us through that. All right. So would you pray with me, dear Heavenly Father? We thank you so much uh, that you give us your Word, that you give us your testimony. Um, we live in a world where there's a thousand voices fighting for our trust, God. And so I ask tonight as we come together. To study your word, Lord, would you open up your text that we may behold its beauty? Lord, would you use this time that we have to let your text go deep into our lives, into our hearts, that we might see your beauty, Lord, and never be the same? So we give you this time and we ask your blessing on it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so what's going on in the text? He's talking about water, he's talking about blood and he's talking about spirit. And not just that. Sounds very, very strange, doesn't it? Very enigmatic. What does he mean by this? Well, what he's talking about is testimony. What the text literally says, and if you heard it and it sounds bizarre, you're hearing it right. He's saying that the water and the blood and the spirit testify and we are to receive this testimony as truth, and that's where we will have our assurance. This matters because, as you remember, they're walking through conflict where people are are, are telling them that I don't think Jesus matters the way you think he does. And we all know by experience that We have a thousand voices fighting for the position of trust in our life. And testimony matters. It really does. It's not just the data points that we take. We have people that will speak into our lives and say, this is why that matters. We receive the testimony of people, no matter what you believe, and it matters to us. So we're called to hold fast to the testimony of God. So overview of a text. This is a courtroom drama. What we have is god the father and he's laying out a line of evidence and testimony and witnesses we have the water that witnesses we have the blood that witnesses and then we have the spirit um, and we're meant to receive this now this is consistent With literature, this is consistent with the Old Testament, Um, evidence does matter to God. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 19, we hear this, a single witness shall not suffice. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. So God, in a way, is putting forward these three witnesses for us, a line of evidence that we might hear what he's saying. So my encouragement to us is, as we walk through these three testifiers, the water, the blood, and the Spirit, man, even if you, if you, even if you don't believe, right? You're, this is a safe place to get your questions and answers. But here's my, here's my charge to you. Carefully listen to what God is saying, as carefully as you would to anybody else. Carefully listen to what the water and the blood and the Spirit says as we understand that, and our call is to anchor our assurance there. So this is God's way of offering us the gift of life. And honestly, he's making it impossible for us to miss. The text that we read today ends this way. And this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. So the goal of this text is that you would have the son and thereby have life. And this would be rock solid assurance for you. So today's goal, um, who are these witnesses and what are they saying? And how does that build assurance in our lives? So let's walk through that. So assurance is holding fast to God's personal testimony. So let's listen to it. First, the water. Uh, There's three ways to really understand the water and the blood and the Spirit. Uh, The first way would be, um, I'm not sure if you remember in in the crucifixion event, even in John's Gospel, when Jesus' side was pierced, through water and blood would flow out, and this verified that he's dead. So some people would say, yeah, that's really what he's talking about, just verifying that Jesus did, in fact, die for our sins. And I get that. Uh, some would say... Um, That No, this is really just about the sacraments, right? The the water would be the sacrament of baptism. The blood would be uh, the communion that we have every week. um, And I think that makes better sense. But really, I think what John is saying is he's really giving us the bookends of Jesus' ministry. If you remember, when Jesus began his ministry, uh, he started with a baptism. In fact, he was baptized. It's so bizarre that most of us don't talk about it because it doesn't seem right that Jesus would be baptized. And then he ends his ministry, of course, Uh, not completely, but the the apex of his ministry at the crucifixion, and obviously there's blood. So this is what John is talking about. I believe that, that his baptism and his crucifixion and how they testify. Uh, So let's walk through that. The first is the water. Um, Let's go back to John the Baptist. Uh, Let me just tell you a little bit about it. John the Baptist was a cousin of Jesus. Uh, He is one of the last Old Testament prophets, camel hair, the whole thing. He's out in the wilderness in the outskirts, way past Jerusalem, and he's out here doing something that nobody had done before. He's calling people to a baptism, but here's what's different. This is a baptism of repentance. He seems to be fulfilling Isaiah 40, where there's a call that there'll be one who comes who uh, a voice that cries in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Uh, And he saw himself as this and others did as well. And he's telling others, repent for the kingdom of heaven as at hand. So he's calling people, Jews, to come out and repent. Uh, This makes sense in context because in the Old Testament, the major tension you see is that people would worship God with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. They would come and they would sacrifice, but they have no love for God, no love for one another. So this makes sense. He's calling them, but he's calling them for a very specific reason because he knows, as he says in the beginning of John's gospel. That the Lamb has come, the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. So he knows his cousin is the Messiah, not just a man, but fully man, fully God, probably not understanding what all that means, but he knows the King is here. And so he's calling people to prepare by confessing their sin. So enter this scene in Matthew 3. Just listen to this. This is the baptism of Jesus. And then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me. But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, the voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So, what is this testimony? What is this water telling you? What do you need to carefully hear? The testimony is 100% about identification. When Jesus takes on that water, when he steps into that water, what he's doing is he's, by implication, becoming associated and um, implicated in your sin. He is taking on the water to fully identify with God's people Israel and all who would exercise faith to even today. So when you see Jesus getting baptized, what you're seeing is the full humanity of God, Jesus. He is taking on flesh. He is baptized. He fully identifies with his people. He fully identifies with you. There's never going to be a day when you can say, I don't think God actually understands what it's like to be me. I don't think he understands what it's like to have a frustrating job, a marriage that's falling apart, or fill in the blank. Um, He takes on this baptism fully identifying with his people. And honestly, it's, it's really meant to see, if we were Jewish listening to this a couple thousand years ago, he would see this very clearly. Oh, this is like our exodus. Because that was a saving paradigm in the Bible. Jesus comes out of Egypt as a baby. He goes into this baptism through the waters of judgment and straight out into the desert. Just like Israel did as they were um, ripped out of the hand of Pharaoh. So, But Jesus does this in faith, trusting in God, full of the Spirit, not using Yielding to temptation, but actually finishes and brings his people into the presence of God, not to the temple, but he himself becomes a temple. He's ripped open and therefore um, opens up a way for people to God. So Jesus fully identifies with you. He's implicated in our sin. Um, yeah, have you ever had a friend that they were just, they seem like they're pretty good on the outside, but man, when you're hanging out with him, you'd always get in trouble. Uh, I've had friends like this, usually when I was younger, I'm not going to tell you about the ones when I was older, but I always felt like Pastor Steve Reed's one of those guys, like he looks just really shiny clean on the outside, but he could probably get you in trouble. But when everybody gets called on the carpet, he's not there. And everybody believes him, I wasn't there, right? I would never do anything like that. They never become implicated in what happens. They always get you in trouble, but they themselves never get in trouble. This is the exact opposite of what Jesus does. He walks into the water, not as one who who has sin, but one who's going to share in the sin of his people. This is so important because he shares everything with us, everything. Um, He doesn't take on this baptism because he has to repent. In a way, well, not even in a way, Jesus is repenting for you. He's walking into the waters to repent for you. Um, Why does this matter? because if your assurance rests on your, the efficacy of your repentance you're in trouble do you repent perfectly i don't is that a problem it's a huge problem it's a huge problem so jesus doesn't take away your need to repent so let's not go there but jesus himself is re- is beginning to repent for us he's identifying with our sin this is huge um This is huge. A Puritan put it this way. He said, even our tears of repentance must be washed in the blood of the lamb. So that's the testimony. Jesus is identifying with you personally. The experience that you have when you listen to this testimony and you join it with faith is Jesus is is no longer just the king, just the savior, just God, the son. He's your high priest. What do I mean by that? Hebrews 4 will help me explain it. It says, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confessions. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So let us with confidence draw near. You see the outcome? This is always the outcome of believing God's testimony. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace in time of need. Um, you're never, ever going to be able to say with a straight face, God can never know what it's like to be me. When we say that, whose testimony are we believing? Mine. I'm believing my testimony, my experience. And scripture is pretty clear when you're doing that, you're making God a liar. And you don't want to do that. We're called to trust in him and let our assurance be rooted in what he speaks and what the water speaks. Uh, Jesus has taken on flesh fully. He's walked into the water of judgments fully. He learned how to walk in faith and abide by the spirit of God fully just as we do. He learned to listen to the word of God, right? He did that even though he's fully God. Um, It's hard to understand, but it's true. So as we walk through to the next testimony, Man, whose testimony are you listening to? you think about what what grabs your heart, what gets out of your head and actually gets right here and starts producing emotions? Is it what the water is saying? No, Jesus understands you. Jesus identifies with you. Jesus has you. There's nothing that you have done that he has not covered. Or God's up in heaven somewhere, and I'm just trying to figure it out, man. I just hope it works. Whose testimony are you going to listen to? assurance is holding fast yes to god's testimony not your experience not a proposition this is where your assurance comes from holding fast to god's personal testimony next up the blood now this makes a little bit more sense but not um so jesus by entering the waters of baptism man he sealed his fate there's no way out uh just like when israel goes through the red sea there's no turning back. There's no going back to Egypt. When Jesus takes on this baptism of repentance with Israel, when he takes this baptism from his cousin who didn't want to do it because it didn't seem right, um, there's no going back. That is the first step. Towards the cross, so you understand the cross. You've probably heard it preached before. I know you have, uh, with Peace Pastor Steve Reed here. But we're going to look at it very briefly. John 19. Just listen to this. This is Jesus on the cross at the very end of his life. Remember, we're listening for the blood testifying to us. And after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the Scripture, "I thirst." And a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said three words, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So if the water is testifying, uh, just identifying with you, what what is the blood testifying? substitution this is jesus teaching us this is the blood teaching us that in this these three words it is finished that is jesus telling you basically his work for you is finished right he has lived out his life in faith trusting in god the father as god called him to and it was hard right it was hard and he's gone to the cross And he's become a sin-bearing substitute for you personally. See, if we don't understand the water, then the cross can just be a moral example. He's dying for sin generally. No, no, no. He's taking it on for you. He identifies with you in the water completely. Now this identification becomes substitution. So the blood testifies this. You stand clean before God. Wouldn't you think that would be the water? The water washes. No, the water's judgment, friend. By the blood you stand clean. Am I making that up? You should ask me. No, I'm not. First um, John 1. It sounds good, right? But you've you got to check this. John starts out his letter that we started by explaining this. He says, But if we walk in the light, that means if we're actually receiving the testimony of God as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So you see the full divinity of God on display in the cross. Nobody else can pay this. Nobody else has the credibility, has the record to pay this price. Nobody. You certainly don't. I certainly don't. So Jesus reveals his full divinity here and he cleanses us. So this is the testimony that the blood is speaking to you that you must receive when you're um, when, you're, when you're operating in a faith, that because of the blood of Christ, you stand before God completely clean. The blood teaches you that you are forgiven, your shame is removed, your guilt is wiped away, your sin is blotted out. Yes, God still sees you. And yes, it does matter that you obey, but not because you're earning God's favor, but because you have it and you have his grace and you have his love and you have a clean record. And more than that, you have righteousness before him so that is the testimony that the blood is giving you what does that feel like what is the experience of that well friend it is a cleansing that is so powerful and so permanent that you no longer as a believer have the freedom hear this god's taking away your freedom you no longer have the freedom to see yourself in any way other than how god sees you now when you're listening to first john it's all family language um, we have been called the children of God. What kind of love is this? right? Loving when he calls us his kids, his children, right? sons and daughters of the living God. Your sin will teach you that is a lie. And you will back off a little bit from God and from his people. So when you start to believe that testimony, the blood's testimony is very important. You stand clean before God. You stand clean before him. Um, think of it this way. If you were out hiking and you saw some friends uh, on the way back to the parking lot and they're like, hey, we're going to go to dinner, let's go. Come over to my house and you're just full of mud. I mean full of mud, right? It rained and, you know, you like to hike and you just got mud all over. Would you go sit down at their table and eat with them? I know you would, but <laughs> most of us, would we go sit down? No, we wouldn't. I'm full of mud. I ain't coming into your house this happens with God all the time. You do not see yourself as clean. You do not believe the testimony that God is giving you through his blood it doesn't make sense to you because you see your sin and that's more present than the cross. And so you'll be like, hmm, I like, this good. I'm just going to stay at arm's length because this is safer. And once I get myself cleaned up, then I'll walk into God's presence. You're misunderstanding the gospel and you'll never go you'll never go. If you don't come now, you'll never go. So the blood testifies that you are free before God, that you are clean. So whose testimony do you believe? Are you going to believe the testimony of your sin, your weakness, your inability? Are you going to believe the testimony of the blood? You have to make a decision. Um, One makes you true and God a liar. Don't choose that one. You're clean before him. So assurance is holding on to the personal testimony of God. How's it personal? Water doesn't seem very personal to me. It seems like water. Blood doesn't seem too personal to me. Well, there's a key here. Did you see that it's not just the water and the blood, but the spirit? Now, we know that the spirit of God is not a sidekick, is not an essence. The spirit of God is God, right? God the spirit, fully God um, and so you can grieve the Spirit, but here's the key of the Spirit. Um, let me ask you this, if you, if when you have a friend or if you're married um, and you just you're just so in love or you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or you just have this friend that you just like, we've been friends forever, When you're giving information about this person, when you're talking to other people about this person, you just light up. You don't have to look at notes like, oh yes, this is my wife. She's a wonderful person. And No, you're like, oh, she's great. She lights up the room. You're going to want to know her. Um, She's amazing. You go on and on and on. See, when we testify about people that we're in love with, our testimony is accurate. It's full of energy. It's clear. It's concise. Now, this is going on in the Trinity, When God is testifying about God the Son through God the Spirit, it's clear, it's concise, it's a testimony of love, it is powerful. So it's not just the water and the blood, the Spirit's there. Let me take you back to Matthew 3 to Jesus' baptism at the beginning of this. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. So this fulfilled prophecy, also in Isaiah, we were to know who the Messiah was by the visible expression of the Spirit of God coming on to this person. So he's, he's, he's full of the Spirit of God. This is God's chosen Messiah. But don't miss this. The Spirit is an eyewitness, a personal eyewitness and an ongoing witness. The Spirit was not just there and present. The Spirit takes up residence in the person of Jesus Christ and empowers him to walk the life that he's called to walk. So he is a visible eyewitness two millennia ago of what happened in that water. Right. This is, this is not mythology. This is not just like, well, that's a nice thing to know. No, the Spirit's there. You see God the Father, the Son, the Spirit there as Jesus is baptized. So eyewitness. And then to the cross. Hebrews nine thirteen tells us Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works that we might serve the living God. So the spirit of God wasn't just poured out to the Messiah and then he rolled out. No, he was in Christ, just like he's in us if we were in faith. And do you know how Jesus endured the cross? Do you know he got through the garden of Gethsemane when he was ready to check out? Do you know how he stayed? By the power of the spirit. It says it right th- through the eternal Spirit. Jesus offers Himself up. He holds tight. He doesn't push pause and call in legions and angels and, and uh, angels and say, "This is enough. It's not worth it." He follows the Father's plan in love by the power of the Spirit. So the Spirit of God is the eyewitness of all this, personally present with all this. And if that wasn't enough, John chapter first, uh, John five six tells us. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. So the water and the blood, past tense, is testified, present tense, to you now by this living Spirit of God. Isn't that amazing? That's happening. He was present. When you you want to know something, when you want to understand a testimony and a witness, you want somebody that was there. You don't want it secondhand. You want the testimony, you want something that I was there. I can tell you exactly what happened. And the Spirit of God testifies to you, both through his word, through other people, um, and even internally, that this is what's going on, right? God loves you, God has you, God has cleaned you. So this is the testimony of the Spirit, possession. You're possessed by God, and you possess Jesus, right? Whoever has the Son has life. This is what the Spirit of God is teaching you over and over and over. Whoever has the Spirit, has the Son. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. This is the testimony of the Spirit over and over. What is that experience? Well, God says it, eternal life. If you will join this testimony that the Spirit's giving you right now with faith, you will have eternal life. Does that mean heaven? Not really. It does, but it's, it's, that's really not the gist of it. Yes, you have a future, and yes, it's very different than now, But eternal life is now. Remember what the water and the blood testify. You have a position before God. It's not neutral, it's righteous, right? You are before him. God has press, taken up presence in your life. Right, you you are in. Uh, he gives you the Holy Spirit. He's in us and among us. And and by that, as you learned last week, we have the gift of His law, and we can obey it. Right, we have power to have be a new creature in Christ. This is visible. This is present. This is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I'm telling you that your assurance is depending on this. Uh, that you would hold fast to the personal testimony of God, specifically as he testifies through the water, through the blood, through the Spirit about his Son. This is where we're meant to get assurance. Always, always, always. And as we do this, as we hold fast to these external witnesses, what happens is we start to build an internal assurance that will not go away and will not let go of us. This is where John wants us to go. This is where the letter is taking us so so let me ask you this friend is your faith based on a proposition i heard the gospel and it sounded right at the time so i I prayed the sinner's prayer is that enough Uh, maybe it was a testimony of somebody else like my mom and dad believed it i trust them so here i am Or maybe you had just a powerful experience of salvation and you spent the rest of your life looking backwards, trying to get it again. And it just, it just slips through your fingers. No, no, no. Take the testimony of God now. The risen Christ now is calling you to trust him. Move towards him now, right? Put your trust in him now. Uh, You are clean before God now. Yes, it's good to have the proposition. It's, you must know the truth. It's good to have an experience of salvation. But they, man, come on, life is tough. And they come and go. But Jesus does not come and go, right? He stays with you. And we know this. So um, where, where is your faith? What's it based on? What are you holding on to? And you say, well, I don't know. Well, how about this? Does your life teach others that God is trustworthy? Like when they look at your life, would they say, hmm, you're weird? I get that a lot. But here's what I can tell you. For whatever reason, they see God as more trustworthy than even themselves. Does your life teach that? Does your life, do we as a church teach the world, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, this one thing? God is trustworthy. There's a lot of things I know and a lot of things I don't know. But here's what I'm basing my life on. His word is perfect right? I can trust that. He is trustworthy. So all of these things, the water, the blood, the spirit, as we receive them, we're going to move close to God. Belief always pulls us into the proximity of God. Um, so what are you holding on to? Where, where's your assurance? Is it based on experience? No, no, no. Let, uh, that'll come. Hold on to the testimony of God His water, Jesus fully identifies with you. Your life is never going to be abstract to him. The blood, you are clean before him if you are trusting him. So go to him and the spirit, he's with you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much um, that you haven't left us without a powerful testimony of who you are and how much you love us. Um, I pray for all of us, Lord, that this would become so real to us, that your testimony would become so vivid and so powerful, that it would take precedence and eclipse every other thing that we hold on to, Lord Jesus, that we might have the Son, that we might have eternal life, that we might have an assurance um, as we hold on to you, Lord. And we know honestly that you're really holding on to us. So that's our prayer, and we thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.